0: There, everyone. This is Rafael Garcia, and we are here for the first interview session that we are doing with MMA ratings. I would say our first kind of restart. We used to do these a couple of years ago, and now we're finally getting back around to them. And for our first guest today, we are having someone who I am a fan of. Um, I'm a fan of her work, especially of her podcast. She's hilarious. But I would like to take a second to introduce you to Fernanda Parches. Did I say that right? No. No? Oh. Pratish. Pratish. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. See, I, I have a thing about saying people's names correct. And I literally <laughs> sat here for like 10 minutes, like, I'm going to get this right. And I clearly failed at that. So and I it's apologize. funny because your name is so Brazilian. See, my father's from Puerto Rico. Okay. And my name, if, if you look at how my name is spelled, it's actually spelled in the Italian fashion. So. Is that
1: the Italian fashion?
0: Yeah. The, 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 pH. pH. Oh, it's very common in
1: Brazil with the oh, really? pH. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't did even know, know it was the Italian fashion. Yeah. Like when I first
0: saw your name, I was like, Oh, Brazilian. And then I saw your profile. I'm like, no, that is not Brazilian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not. Everybody thinks I am an African-American, but no, I'm actually Latino, Afro Latino. So yes. And I will get your name right one day, but yeah, before it's practice that, that would was- be the
1: easiest thing i say pratish because that's my uh accent from rio
0: okay but yeah okay (laughs)
1: so
0: i'll get it one day i'll get it one day yeah
1: so um
0: thank you for your time today i appreciate (laughs) sitting down being able to talk to you because i feel like you would be a great individual to kind of start this series off with so we have some questions just to kind of throw at you just uh have a pretty natural conversation and just bounce around from MMA to some other topics as well. How's Mm -hmm. that sound? Yeah,
1: perfect. So
0: first thing I want to talk to you about is the thing that everybody's going through right now. How's social distancing going for you? Are you going crazy? Are you taking it cool on just hanging out by yourself or are you bouncing around the walls? It's going alarmingly a lot like my regular life. So that's a little sad.
1: Um, (laughs) I'm used to working from home. Because I live in Rio, but I have been writing for American websites. Now I write for The Athletic, but I used to write for MMA Junkie for like about four years now, almost. So working from home was not an adjustment and like working in a very niche thing, uh, you know, on a language that is not my own. Like I had sort of learned how to be isolated a little bit, as pathetic as that sounds, but Um, when you work from home, you you start developing certain habits, right? Like, I would eat lunch out. Like, I would take small breaks during the day to make sure that I wasn't, like, talking to walls, uh, which is clearly now happening. Like, my appliances have names. But... Now I don't have that anymore. So it's a little different, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I feel like I got this. When they first announced social isolation, I was like, okay, put me in coach. I've been preparing for this moment in my whole life.
0: Okay. So you let, you open the door that your appliances hmm. have names. What, what are your appliances' names?
1: Yeah, it changes, honestly it changes every day. I'll just be like, oh, that's Brenda. <laughs> oh, that's like Jennifer. Oh, that's, I don't know, why we, when I'm feeling adventurous, it just, yeah, I'm going through some things.
0: Don't try to understand it. It's better if we just, yeah. No problem. I get it. (laughs) What's the first thing you're going to do when everyone's allowed to go run wild again?
1: Oh my God. So one thing I was still doing until not that long ago, just like days ago was running outside, right? Because I was like, Okay. that's still okay like if you're doing it from a distance like if you're doing it but then I realized shit's still crowded (laughs) so I was like okay I can't keep doing that so I think the first thing is just really go for a run uh, as sad as that is second thing a bar for sure I love bars (laughs) they're kind of my natural habitat so (laughs) for sure
0: I fully support that. That's my one of my favorite places too. So the bar
1: or the exercise? the bar, both oh, okay. kinda, but I'm leaning more <laughs> towards the bar. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like you can drink at home alone, and uh, not gonna lie, I do that sometimes. Uh, a lot of times, it's a little sad. Uh, I may need help, but uh, it's different at a bar, right? Like the it's a lot less sad. <laughs> I would
0: say. <laughs> I won't judge you for drinking alone. I, I do that too as well, but that's a, that's a whole other podcast. I do that yeah. too. That's a whole other show So you're uh, a you've been writing for the athletic and you mentioned another couple of other outlets you have written for. How did you first get started into um, the MMA media space, and how long have you been involved?
1: Uh, since Actually, I was writing, I wrote about my favorite fighter this week, and it was Leo Machida, and that sort of forced me to go down, like, take a trip down memory lane, because Machida has a lot to do with how I started really getting into MMA. Um, but I would say, like, hardcore 2009 was when I started. And uh, it was kind of like a combination of factors. I would say. Like, I started liking the sport at that time. It's when I first started training Muay Thai, um casually like a lot of people do like oh it's exercise i wanted to lose weight at the time and it seemed fun and that's how i started and uh then i went from there to like jujitsu because they had classes right after muay thai and a lot of the conversation revolved around combat sports so that's kind of like how i first started like getting curious about it you could say and then i started watching just reruns and things that were on cable um uh, on weekends i guess here in brazil and then i just got hooked that was it i got way obsessed i remember when i first started watching my uh then boyfriend also liked it but then like in a couple of months i had vastly surpassed his interest (laughs) and he was kind of like well that is getting a little weird maybe uh maybe we should just chill a little bit but i was very much hooked and um And things sort of coincided that in my professional life and academic life, I went to school for journalism. I was about to get my degree and I needed an internship. And I started interning at this really big paper in Brazil. And uh, I started, you know, I was a person who cared about MMA and I was available. So they took whatever content they could get. And I started writing sort of as my fandom grew, my writing career started there, and it, it went from there. I had a bunch of different types of jobs, um, even jobs that when I wasn't doing jobs related to MMA, I was writing for a Brazilian website called MMA Brazil. Um, I wrote for that, I started doing a podcast with them. My One of my ex-boyfriends owned the site. Uh, when we were together, we started the podcast there, and it's still going on. So. Um, I just kind of like always stayed within MMA, even when I wasn't working directly with it. And then uh, I did PR for the UFC in Brazil for a while. Not directly. I worked for a company that the UFC was my only client. Then from there, I went to Combachi, which is the pay-per-view provider for the UFC in Brazil. So just, yeah, I did a bunch of different things. Um, Then I ended up at MMA Junkie, like I mentioned writing exclusively about mma and now i'm at
0: the athletic perfect perfect you've done quite a bit in the sport um from a fan standpoint if you can think back when was the moment when you knew you were hooked like everybody has that one fight maybe it was a knockout or submission or something like that but when was that one moment when you knew that this was it for you so the, the
1: moment that I mentioned in my column about Machida was when he won the title fight um, against Rashad Evans because I remember that was, like, the time that I was, like, relentlessly looking for, like, a streaming link or whatever. And I was, like, I, I was even questioning my own memory. Like, were there streaming links at the time? <laughs> there were. Um, so that was, I guess, one of the moments. But honestly, like, I think it was the Lyoto and Thiago Silva fight before that, actually because it was I think it was live on Sport TV for some reason Sport TV is a cable channel they didn't show a lot of live events like Kombachi shows all the the live events anyway it's a whole Brazilian thing but I remember watching that one live sort of by accident because I wasn't like following it chronologically at the time I just saw whatever was on um And then it was like these two undefeated Brazilians, like Thiago Silva at the time was such a big thing. He was like Leoto, like that was the clash between the two undefeated prospects. Like you had a feel of what happens here is you know the next big thing. So I remember that I would point that out as a fight that I was really invested in uh, for the first time. And then UFC 100 was the first event that I actually bought to watch like as a pay per view. And that really like stuck with me because it was the one time when I felt like, okay, I really cannot miss this in any way. Like I need to purchase this event because this is just, otherwise my life will be incomplete if I don't see this now. So those would be my my
0: my landmark events. Okay, awesome. And a question I like to ask everybody who's um, so ingrained in the sport is, how do you like to watch the shows? Do you prefer watching them at home in the comfort of, of your own place or being actually at the events Uh no oh you mean
1: difference between live and at home or like at bars social gatherings uh,
0: well you could okay let's make it three options then you can either watch them at home, <laughs> put them at, at bars or, or social gatherings or actually at the event
1: oh uh, it, it's changed for me over the years like i used to really like watching it at social gatherings just it's fun, you know, like you're watching at home here in Brazil, they're on so late. Sometimes you just get sleepy throughout, like things that are important, feel a little unimportant just because you're going through the motions with it. And because I work a lot with it, like sometimes I associate it, uh, like walk- watching it alone from home is work, you know? Uh, so for a long time, I really liked watching it and like parties and stuff, um, now, and watching it live, honestly, I haven't really done it that much, that many times, because uh, a lot of my work life has always consisted of being either with the PR team running around and not really being able to watch, stop and watch anything, or like a junkie, I was backstage doing like video interviews. So I really don't have a lot of experience of watching an event live from press row. Uh, It's not something that I think I could do every weekend. It's nice every now and then, but watching it from home, like on Twitter, you're comfortable. You can replay things. I would say now is that I'm an old lady is my ideal experience. But for a long time, I really liked watching it in social settings. Fuck bars though, because bars always have like that one dude who (laughs) spots me talking or getting excited about something and tries to like explain something to me or just say something really idiotic so bars are just not a thing that i do anymore
0: now i want to ask you questions about that too as well i'm sure you have at least one funny story in that area um but before we do that i want to talk to you about your work in general because i one of the things i appreciate most about your content whether it be written or the podcast is that it has such a lighthearted feel to it and i feel like mma MMA takes itself really seriously because I feel the the rest of the sports world does not. So Mm -hmm. the fact that your work has such a lighthearted feel to it, I, I really appreciate that. So talk to me about that. Where do you get that style from and how have you kind of fine tuned that?
1: I'm just getting that style. I think that, um, I've always enjoyed writing humorously. Uh, in Portuguese, that was my style for a long time. I've always had like, Blogs in Brazil photo log was really big. So I had a photo log like and I would write I would always try to be funny like that was just personal and funny has always been my style and uh, emphasis on try because that's the thing with humor like sometimes it just doesn't land and For reading back on some stuff. I'm like dude, you were trying way too hard But anyway, that was just kind of like what I was always going for in my personal writing not my professional writing right and it seemed prohibitive for a long time as a journalist, like I was always uh, sort of taught that, you know, you have to have the lead a certain way. You have to have the style a certain way. Like you have to be concise. You have to be this like there was a bunch of like have tos. Um, and so you start like just trying to for a long time. I believe those things had to be separate, like they couldn't mix. Like that was my writing for me and that was my writing professionally and that's still a case in many situations. It remained being the case for a long time in my life. And even at Junkie, like if you look at my stuff there, it was like a whole lot of serious stuff. And every now and then I would, you know, we had the blue corner, which is like a blog section that only started existing a little bit after I joined the team. Then in the blue corner, I sort of started like being able to be funny and stuff. But like the... That's the thing, like, uh, MMA comment sections are garbage, so I was really demotivated, and like, I just, I don't know, I didn't really feel like that part of me was nurtured, so I didn't do a lot of it, and then, when I joined The Athletic, like, if you look at the team at The Athletic, you have guys like Chuck, Mindenhall, and like, Shaheen, and Ben, and Josh, and, and... Um, Chad, and these are amazing, capable, incredible, super intelligent writers who can do anything. And I'm like, okay, I'm in this team of badass superstars. Um, what can I offer that they can't? And I was like, my voice. So what is my voice? That was really my question, uh, to myself really. And I started like thinking, you know what? What have I got to lose? Like I have this platform. I have an editor who will come to me and say, no, you can't do this. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to do it. Like this is way too far off. Um, so it's like, you know what? I'm just going to pitch it. I'm just going to try it. Like this is, it's just writing. I'm not doing surgery in anybody's brain. Like if I fuck up, I fuck up. So that's really how I got to what I'm doing now, which I don't know if it's sustainable. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing it if by any chance I'm not with the athletic anymore. But now, like, I'm not, I didn't try to do this. This is what I always loved doing. And I never thought I would be able to. And I happen to love comedy and humor. And I happen to love MMA. And I happen to be at a time and place in my life where I can do both. And hopefully I can continue doing it. But it just kind of happened. And I'm glad that it did.
0: I, and I think a lot of people are really glad that it did too, as well. Um, if you look across your catalog of work, do you have a piece that stands out to you that that's your favorite? Mm, um, of all time? Uh, you could do all time or just one that's kind of come to mind uh, that you've done recently. Which one stands out to you the most that you like are really uh, proud of, for lack of a better term? There was one that
1: isn't funny, like, there's a story that was really hard for me to do about um, cornering in MMA, about corners throwing the towel, like the idea of throwing the towel in MMA. Um, That was a tough one for me, like, I had to talk to a lot of people, and I didn't really come to any conclusions afterward, because it's such a tricky and complicated theme and uh when i had all the interviews i was like oh shit like i don't know how to write this (laughs) this is there's nothing cohesive about it so i just went with what i felt and i think it showed in the story that it's like no this is more complicated than we try to make it be and i'm just gonna like let this show in my writing. I'm not going to try to make this simpler because that's our temptation as a writer. Like we want to have a conclusion and we want to have closure and we want to have it be really digestible and clean, but some things are not digestible and clean. So I take pride in, I hated that story every second of it. Like it was torture. I wanted to give up all the way, like to the final second, if it wasn't my editor, I would have given up on it. But, so I'm proud of it because like I got it done and I finished it. But uh, the thing that I enjoy doing the most and that I was doing a lot of, and now obviously I can't do it often because events are happening, is the Fernanda Pratis guide, where I break down uh, the cards, but I do it in my own way with, with the stuff that I find interesting and funny. And I try to show other sides of fighters. Like sometimes a card just seems boring and I want to, I want to make people invested in the fighter, not necessarily in the fight, because that's also how I watch fights nowadays. Like if you just throw a bunch of random people in a cage, I I no longer feel that interested. I was seven years ago, not anymore. So with the guide, what I try to do is be like, okay, maybe you're not interested in this car. Let let me give you something to be curious about. And I feel like I accomplished that with the guide. I love writing it. It's hard, but it's so much fun. And I do feel like it's the best um, combination of just really my personality and,
0: you know, MMA. Okay. I definitely understand that there. And and thinking back to that piece, if you look at it now, and I know this might be a hard question to answer, but when it comes to throwing in the towel, I'm just going to ask you randomly, what side do you fall on with that? Are you I don't want to say against it, but do you understand like the difficulty behind it? Or are you more questioning why it doesn't happen more often?
1: Yeah. The question of why it doesn't happen more often, because like here looking from my living room, of course I want people to throw the towel. Like to me, it's very black and white. Like this guy is not winning the fight. Like he's just getting beat up. Like why are you not stopping this guy or girl, obviously. But so you're, to me, so that was what I was trying to get to the bottom of, because it's very easy for me to be here and tweet, this is a problem in MMA, and it is. Uh, not enough people throw the towel, we know. It's very rare. So much so that when I look for people to talk about during the towels, my options were incredibly limited, because like three people have done it. And then, so it's very easy for me to sit here and be like, okay, this should happen more often. So what I wanted to do is be like, okay, this is how I feel, but I want to know why it doesn't happen more often, not say that it should happen more often. And in order to do that, I had to listen to fighters. I had to listen to coaches. I had to listen to people who threw the towel and I had to listen to a lot of people who haven't. And they would say, ah, I would, if that, that that wasn't my main takeaway from it. Like a lot of them would say, I would, if it came to it. And then the question is, what has what come to it? What is damage? Like, we think, oh, when it's getting too much damage. What is too much damage? Our vision of too much damage is one thing. A fighter's vision of too much damage is another thing. A coach's vision of too... So it's, it's so complicated. And then you have... The pay structure right an mma which is there's a win bonus in in the biggest organizations that is which you have a win bonus and a show bonus a win money and show money so the difference between winning and losing is also double your paycheck so you have all those things contributing to a culture in which it's very hard for a coach to, to just throw the towel from the macho like ego I don't want to be perceived as weak thing to the and I say macho in a very broad way because I it applies to to women too we saw that with Priscilla Cachoeira and Valentina Tchepchenko um so you have that that thing of like no I, I I can't like it's my fighter's mentality I can't say no so you have that but you also have very like logistical issues with just how, how MMA is operated. And so that was that was really what I was trying to get at there. And I didn't get any... It, there weren't easy questions and I didn't get any easy answers. And uh, as frustrating as that is, that's necessary sometimes for all of us who ask ourselves questions. It's something that I try to do often because I, I think I come across as a self-righteous person because I tweet a lot of certainties, but... I'm often questioning myself in my place of privilege and in my place of a journalist who's just very much an observer. And I think that in MMA, sometimes there's a really big disconnect between all parties involved because we're very reluctant to come out of our places, our particular points of view. And what I try to do with, with my work is like show all of them not to make us... Come to a conclusion necessarily, but to understand that things are more complicated than they might seem.
0: That is very um, deep from a media member standpoint because when it comes to MMA, MMA media and the audience, I feel like there's yeah. a huge disconnect between the two. Um, mm-hmm. You you see it like in other sports, obviously there may be. A little bit of backlash if someone gets on the radio and says something about someone's favorite player. That's one thing. But when it comes to MMA and the, and the fan base, there seems to be a complete disdain f- for the fan base to the media members. Where do you think that kind of comes from? Is that something, is that just the underground nature of the sport? Or is there something more ingrained when it comes to that? That's a really tough question that I don't know how to answer because I ask it myself
1: a lot. Um because here in brazil like a soccer culture is very toxic as well and i see a similar thing like it's actually a lot worse because it's a lot less niche soccer is brazil's sport so like i'll see uh, a commentator or someone who said something that displeased a certain fan base and they get like the backlash is horrendous. I just look at their mentions on Twitter. I'm like, I can't even complain about the three incel dudes who say shit to me. Like that is just so much deeper. So I don't know. I honestly don't know how to answer that question because I often wonder if it's an MMA thing, if we're looking at it from, if we feel like it's an MMA thing because we are so deep within the MMA bubble. I do think that there is an element of it being still feeling like having an inferiority complex. Like the sport still feels like it's under attack because for a long time, we felt very, we were literally under attack. Like there are people trying to like not let the sport. There still are in some places, but like in the U.S. specifically, like there are people actively trying to ban it from happening. So you get the sort of mentality. You know, like you have to protect it. So I think that that might have something to do with it. Maybe the the fans are still very much like, no, we we need to protect this. We need to cherish this. And whenever anybody, even a media member who works in MMA and who does MMA for a living says something that they feel attacks that, they feel protective of it. So that's one explanation I have. But I wonder... um, Brazil particularly, like if that if it's that much worse than it is with soccer, you know, this is a very tricky, tricky question that, yeah, like I said, I don't know that I have the answer for, but I do feel like that that might have something to do with just the fact that uh, there's still this defensiveness when it's when it comes to MMA.
0: Okay, I definitely agree with all that. I think it definitely is a very defensive kind of response that comes across from the fan base towards the media members and speaking of media members who are some of the individuals that you read like if you see their name on a new piece or something like that you have to stop and read their work who are some of the names that stand out to you
1: well I'm gonna sound like such a guest ass because I'm gonna say my co-workers like uh (laughs) okay with that go right on ahead I'm okay with that so I Ben Folks is Um, I used to work with him obviously a junkie but way before we started working together don't tell him that um, we have a very specific dynamic like we just mock each other all the time so I can't really admit that I'm a big fan of his but um, I am I I was way before I joined junkie he was the one guy that was like my go-to so Ben is one guy that even now whenever a column comes out and I know it came out because it's like we have sheets and slack channels and stuff like that I still like want to read he's like one of my personal favorites um, uh, Shaheen um, Al Shadi, who also works with me he does long forms he does like very He's I think he's just an incredibly like talented writer um, love everything he does um, outside of, of the athletic, uh, my competitor for a long time, Guy Cruz, Guilherme Cruz, who works for MMA fighting, he is, um, I hated being his competitor, a junkie, because he's just so goddamn competent, he's a much better reporter than I will ever be, and I, will gladly admit that i'm not a great reporter i like writing i don't like reporting i do it because i have to um he's such a great reporter so insightful and like whenever he doesn't really have time because of the nature of his work to do a lot of elaborate pieces that's really not what he does right now but like Uh, Whenever he publishes something like it's usually insightful, you know, he looked it over well, he went to the right sources, like he's measured, he really isn't irresponsible. I really trust everything that he puts out. So just as a source of like straight up information, um, he's a guy that I constantly go to and I am going to feel very bad about forgetting people eventually after this but right now these are the people and uh, the rest of the athletic staff obviously is very like chuck mindenhall he's just a fucking wordsmith i can't even um everybody knows it he's widely regarded as the best writer in mma and i'm not gonna say the best because i feel like we all have such different styles but um he's certainly up there um yeah Mm -hmm. chad and, and josh like chad so so incredibly intelligent and insightful and like he's not fancy in the way that he writes, but he's always like clever. There's always a hook or like he sneaks up on you. I love that about him. And uh, Josh, like he's the brain for like the legislative stuff, like the difficult things that are too hard to deal with and not a, a lot of us like to do. He does it and he does it very well. So and uh, there's Nolan King. He's a good up and comer. Like up and comer. Oh my God, it's probably my age. I feel like such a douche for saying this, but I like his stuff. He he has a good eye for good stories. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm being a, an
0: asshole right now, but you put me on the spot, and that's what I can come up with. <laughs> I'm gonna cut out. I'm gonna cut out everything you said except for Nolan King being a a young up and comer couple. I'm gonna cut out everything else. But just that part. No, seriously, I think I appreciate that response. It was very um, in depth as well. And I want to talk about how I got introduced to your work when it was through Mm -hmm. the Well Actually podcast. Walk (laughs) me through like where that came from. Um, When did you come up with the idea? When did you think that, uh, you know, this is something that I am really enjoying and something I could really see myself doing?
1: Uh, I'm gonna cry. I miss it. Oh, no, no cry. don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> kidding. I'm almost over it. I'm totally fine. Okay. I'm breezy. Um, so the idea was oh my God, it was just like really random. Uh, I was just getting started with the athletic. They hired me, and I had a month off before I started it. I asked um, to have like this gap between junkie and, and the athletic because honestly, I was just like, over it. I was over MMA. If I hadn't gone to the athletic, I'd probably not be with MMA right now. Like I was just really burned out. And I was wondering if MMA had anything left to offer, because I'd put so much of my life into it. And, you know, after a while, it just gets a little repetitive. Um, so I left. Uh, I, it was right after during that that gap that I just threw it out there. Um, to my editor, Dan Stop, who also worked with me at MMA Junkie. I was like, maybe, maybe I could do a podcast. And it was so fucking casual. Like I was not expecting anything to come out of it. And I was like, I'm glad you said that because I always thought that you could have a podcast. I think your voice would be very much appreciated. And then he was way too excited about it. I'm like, oh, fuck, I might have to see this through. And before I knew it, I was copied in like a bunch of emails with a bunch of serious podcast people having a bunch of serious ideas. I'm like, oh, man. Okay. (laughs) And we had a call and it was like, so what do you think your podcast can be about? And It was very much Seifield, like a show about nothing. (laughs) It's like, uh, it's going to be my perspective on things. And then I just have to really think about what is my perspective on things. What am I going to do? Like, this is such a saturated space. We have so many, Mimi podcasts out there now. Like, what am I going to add by just sitting here and breaking down fights or, you know, previewing cards or nothing i'm not even good at that i'm just marginally okay at understanding sort of what's happening during a fight like it's not my 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 forte so it just really as the ball got rolling and microphones got sent to my place and things got made official like okay I, I i need to do this and it's just me and it's me and my perspective like what are the things that i want to say that I don't think are being said in MMA right now. Or not being said in this way. Because you have. I'm not saying that everybody is like doing fluff or whatever, like you have guys like Luke Thomas who is very critical and very intelligent and very poignant. And so, you know, I i wasn't, it's not that I thought that MMA was lacking critical thinking but it just, I was really forced to think, you know, what, what does my voice mean in this space like what is me because everybody was like oh we like your perspective i'm like what is my perspective yeah i'm from brazil sure yeah i'm a woman sure uh so i had to like put up all of those things together and be like okay i'm just gonna be a progressive feminist podcast to an audience made uh largely of males who don't really like me that much (laughs) (laughs) that was it (laughs) and it really went from there um and I, at first, suffer, I suffered through all of the episodes. So I'm not just going to say at first, but it just, it really flowed. The minute I stopped asking myself, what do people want to hear? And started asking myself, what do I think it's important to be said? And how can I make this interesting? You know, how can I put this in a way that is interesting? That's when I found like a formula. I don't even know if I could call my podcast, my deceased podcast successful, because obviously it wasn't successful enough for them to keep it, but um, it did have like such a warm reception, much warmer than I ever anticipated. So uh, that, you know, even 10 people listened and liked it and felt like it was really something that was missing. That was, like, really all I really set out to do.
0: Okay, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, I want to ask you, with a caveat, what is your favorite episode that you did, but you cannot say the Esther Lynn episode, because that's my favorite. (laughs) One of the other ones. Damn! See? I I knew it. You can't pick that one. But outside of that one, which one is is your favorite uh, show? (laughs) Oh, God.
1: I love that one so much because Esther is like the character that everybody knows, but nobody knows a lot about. I didn't. And she's my friend. <laughs> and you heard the podcast. You saw how much I found out about her just like by talking to her and she opened up so much. Uh, so yeah, that would have been my immediate pick. Um, I really enjoyed the Laura Senko episode. Um, the audio was like janky as shit. Um, <laughs> I was like on two hours sleep talking to her at the lobby of the hotel. I don't know if I was still drunk or hungover. Like, you know, when you're in that situation where you can't figure out which one's which that was me doing that. I'm an overprepare. Like I always have like such a tight script, like such a perfect, like idea of where I want to go with it. And with her, I didn't. And, um, I just had so much fun. I had a blast. So maybe as a, Personal favorite, that's it. I have to think. Oh my God, I've been avoiding to think about my podcast for a while. There was some that I did by myself that I enjoyed that I felt like I was able to convey important things. I like the one that I did on Greg Hardy. Um, I felt like it was a tough, tough one to approach. I really went back and forth on doing it. I really struggled. I really suffered. And I think that I was able to, I don't know, Maybe I sucked, I have to listen back. But at the time, it felt like I was competent at uh, conveying what I wanted to convey. So that was one that I would put in my highlights. And the interviews, all of them I loved. Leslie Smith, um, uh, Rodrigo Del Campo, um, um, Julie Ketzi. Then, again, don't tell him that. It would get to his head. (laughs) So I don't know. You asked me a really tough question. I don't really have a favorite. I suffered through all of them. (laughs) and they all sucked uh, for a long time and then somehow they got done and I just love them for existing
0: good 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 I love that too so you mentioned that um, in the description of your show you talked about the mansplainers and your um, dms do you have like a funny mansplainer like a dm story that you'd be willing to share oh man
1: off the top of my head, so that, that wasn't, I didn't write the description, by the way, that was my producer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I the sentiment was good, I approved it, but like looking back, I'm like, that's not really my voice, that's a little too on the nose. Um, my producer, Chris, who was, is, he's still very much alive, producing The Men and the Myth, but he's uh, amazing. Uh, but we didn't. We hadn't really recorded anything yet, so it was hard for me to really get For him to really gauge, I'm actually looking at my DMs right now. Post podcast, the thing that really surprised me was that I didn't get enough bad DMs. Like I thought I was just gonna get so much fucking hatred and so much nastiness, um, and I didn't. So. <laughs> actually at all like I think what hmm, I'm trying to think if I have a good example like what happened a lot that was like it was just like weird guys who felt like they were my friend and just like poured their heart out to me a little too much or like you know just assumed things about me and my personality and who I am and just things like that like you just like hey maybe just because you hear my voice once a week doesn't mean you really know me but I can't really think
0: of a specific case
1: I'll keep thinking though and I'll yeah sure if it comes to mind
0: yeah I want to segue over to some of the fun thing, or well, not. Not saying that MMA isn't fun, but some of the other <laughs> topics that have bounced off of my head. Um, talk to me about your t-shirt collection. So I follow you on Instagram as well too. I notice a lot of your excellent t-shirts. I am a I am a big fan of having like snarky level t-shirts where people have to get the joke to get the joke. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like you have a lot of those too. Talk to me about your um, t-shirt <laughs> collection. Yeah.
1: So I'm like I'm a like- total like pop culture geek and in brazil it's hard right because the references are very different but i started watching like american shows very early on like i was 10 watching like baywatch and snl reruns from 15 years before with references i had no idea but i love spin city uh, news radio Married with Children, and then Seinfeld, which became my favorite show ever. And Friends, So, you know, you start sort of developing an identity. If you're a pop culture person, right, you know, you start of developing your identity around those things. So that was me very early. And then started uh, translating to the way I dressed. And then I went to, yeah. Uh, do you remember, I don't know if, if it still even exists, because in Brazil it was actually hard to get, I don't, uh, bustetees.com. Did you still have that? Yes, I remember that. I remember that, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so I would like import those t-shirts. And they were expensive, of course, because they were sold in dollars. And then you had to pay like taxes on them when they got to Brazil. But I would order them like three at a time and just wait anxiously for them. And that was like, it became a big part of my identity. And I would wear them out here in Brazil and nobody would understand them like i have one to this day that i always always joke that if i ever went out with it in public to the supermarket and somebody understood it i would marry them on the spot because that's my soulmate it was a, <laughs> uh, it was a shirt with the little dinosaur from jurassic park the one that like spreads its like face or whatever and yeah, yeah yeah and it said goodbye newman because the actor who played Newman in Seinfeld was yeah. the guy who died yeah so I, it was just like such a basic shirt and I wore it and nobody ever understood why I was wearing it but those are like the, the it just really became a part of my personality from then on it was like it, my t-shirts became a thing and I don't know it's just like it, it kind of makes you feel like you're part of a group I don't know if that's the case with you like
0: like you're telling an yeah, inside joke. Does. yeah it's definitely like an inside joke to it that everybody doesn't necessarily get and that's kind of why I've always done it if that was your favorite shirt sure, what is your favorite um Seinfeld episode
1: Oh, man, people ask me that. And I always, like, struggle because I don't want to say something obvious like the Soup Nazi because it's, like, everybody's favorite episode. But my favorite is actually a, a fairly obvious one. It's the Bizarro Jerry one.
0: Okay, okay, I remember that one. What is yours? The the uh, Tractor Story. That's my favorite one.
1: Okay. That's, like, see, that's that's cool, though. That is not an obvious choice.
0: It's so hilarious to me because the way it ends when he finally figures out what the tractor story is, like that kills me every time. I don't know why, but it's just that point. Like I don't, like, I can't remember anything else about the episode, but just the portion of when she finally sits down and tells him what the tractor, tra- what the tractor story is, and his reaction to it does it to me every time.
1: That's a cool answer. I need to start like thinking about
0: cooler episodes. Okay, okay. I mean, it's it's a great show. I. <laughs> I watched it growing <laughs> up too, as well. So everyone should know that show. Um, one other thing I want to talk to you about. One major topic. Let's talk about Bloodsport. Okay. Okay. Help me understand. What is your love for for that movie? I believe it's the greatest martial arts movie of all time. But what is what? Are, what are your thoughts on it? Why is why is it your like? Why do you talk about it so much? It's the perfect movie. It's perfect. It's
1: got everything. Like it's funny. It's got romance it's got action it's just there's not a dull moment like are you ever bored watching Bloodsport? like is anybody ever like that's the thing with me i like short movies i don't like paul thomas anderson type shit that goes on for a lifetime like i have better shit to do uh i i just think it's perfect like the timing it's actually a lot It's well made, a lot of people have this idea that it's like janky and whatever, it's not. It's well made. The images are great. It's like it's got an Instagram filter throughout. Like if there is a Bloodsport Instagram filter, I would use it in every single one of my pictures. That is how amazing I think the look is. It's just fun. And then there's obviously the nostalgia of it. Here in Brazil, for instance, it would, um, we have a major network channel called Globo. And now things obviously change with time but when i was a kid it was omnipresent like in the U.S., you have, like, a few major networks. Here in Brazil, it was just global. Like, the second place didn't even come near, right? So everybody was always watching global. And they have this thing called the Sessão da Tarde, it's, like, afternoon session, and they had movies. And Bloodsport was in every fucking single one of them. Like, every week, Bloodsport was on. <laughs> you could not escape it. And that, and so I watched it as a kid all the time and didn't remember it. It, it didn't really strike a chord with me, whatever. Years later, after I was already working with MMA, I was probably already, what, 23, 24? And uh, uh, my then boyfriend was like, oh, let's watch Bloodsport, like, for real. He really liked it. I was like, oh, it's just a childhood movie, right? And then I watched it for real, like, seriously, like, really paying attention. And I loved it. It's so good. Like, the characters are amazing. The story is so good. The action is so good. The fight scenes are just hilariously outlandish. I don't see what's not to like about the movie. Right? Like, what, what, what is it? What do, why do you say that it's the best
0: Comet Sports uh, movie uh, of so all time? Because it's so over the top that it should be bad, but it's not. It's. I feel like the people that were making it while they were making it were probably standing backstage laughing the whole time. Yeah. But yep. it, it works so well that I, mean, I could watch it every day if I needed to.
1: That's exactly it. Because for the latest story that I did, that we did the running chat, me and Greg, who had never seen it, um, I had to watch it three times in three days, basically. Right? Because I did one to rewatch and then one to watch it with him and then one to uh, do the, the script for the story. And I love dolls all the times, <laughs> and I hate repetition. I never watch the same movie twice. I hate it. It just bores me. I'm easily bored. It's like, why can you say this is bad if this is enjoyable? And that's my beef with a lot of people. Who are like, oh, this is trash. Like, if a lot of people enjoy it, it's probably not trash. Like, it's. Understand why you like if if it's enjoyable if it's making you feel good things why is it trash and I feel like Bloodsport just makes you feel good things it's just a thoroughly enjoyable movie from beginning to end.
0: That's perfect, perfect answer. <laughs> if you had to remake Bloodsport today and oh re- wow, what MMA star would you pick to play the main character? Frank. Yes. Holy shit.
1: Now you got me because we have to think about personality and style. I'm going to make it a bit harder.
0: I'm going to make it a bit harder. You got to pick one for Frank and one for Chong Lee. Oh, man. Shit.
1: Well, Chong Lee would probably be Yoel Romero.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good.
1: I feel like he's got the look, the charisma, because Chong Lee was charismatic too. That's why he's such a good villain. And he one conveys one. things with the eyes, right? Yoel doesn't need to talk. Like, you you know what he's talking about. Uh, Frank, based on like a fight skill alone, I'd probably go with Adesanya. Like, that's good. Adesanya's charismatic. I don't know. I don't know about his acting skills, though. Because, like, obviously, Van Damme wasn't an amazing actor. I'll give the haters that. Uh, but he had a lot of soul. He had a lot of honesty. I think that's what really came through. So, I don't know. Maybe out of Sonia, he really caught me by surprise there. I Adesanya's feel like
0: Darren, Darren Till could be an interesting Frank Dukes. What do you think? That's a good one, too. I was going to go like a Jorge Masvidal. I think he would, he has, like, I feel like he could do it, too. But Darren Taylor was a good guest too.
1: I don't think he has the naivete. Like Jorge is too slick to be Frank. Dude, oh,
0: true. That's true. That's also true. True. <laughs>
1: he's I like, like he's so suave. Like I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't picture him as unless it was. A, yeah. I mean, you could read it in a different way that it makes sense. I would. I wouldn't go with him just because I feel like there needs to be something a little pure about Frank, and I don't think that that jorge has that
0: okay i like that answer i will take that too as well <laughs> so i wanted to take an opportunity to go ahead and close out so um why don't you let everyone know what's next for you like what are some things that you're working on now and where can we find your work oh my god what's next for you like that is
1: such a daunting question right now <laughs> we don't know what's next for anyone though like okay next from a work week.
0: perspective from a project <laughs> perspective let's put it that way we may all be down here next week.
1: So all we know. <laughs> Not a metaphysical perspective. Okay, that narrows it down. Um, yeah, I'm at The Athletic. So you can read all my work there. We were talking about, well, actually, unfortunately, uh, it got discontinued. But I do want to keep it going eventually, like in a different form. Uh, no longer attached to The Athletic, but on my own. I can't give any uh, predictions on that. So for now, in terms of work... Follow me at The Athletic, my byline is there. During the quarantine, I've been writing, or social isolation, whatever term you prefer. I've been writing a lot of ridiculous shit, so if that's that's your thing, I got you. Um, but in terms of just real life, I'm on Twitter, at Nanda Pratchi's underscore, always saying things there, <laughs> and I'm on Instagram, Nanda is just posting a lot of selfies, so... You know, there's a little bit of content for everyone in my social media. Uh, that is pretty much it. In terms of work, nothing, nothing um, more specific on the horizon. I'm working
0: full-time with the athletics, so you can just always find my work there. Fantastic. Well, Fernanda, I appreciate your time today. Um, thank you for sitting down to talk, to, talk with me. Uh, please be safe as we sit in our apartments and not do anything and stare at the walls.
1: Thank you, you too, yeah. And just try not talking to your appliances because that's um, there's no returning from that.
0: If I go that far, then that that means I've been drinking a little bit too much. Yeah, that would
1: be the sign that I would um, give people, you know, as the cry for help
0: time. But, you know, you do you. I don't judge. This is a safe space. This is definitely a safe space. Well, (laughs) thank you for your time again. And I appreciate all your work. And here's to the best. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Have a great day.